You might not have put two and two together or realize that this podcast, it's actually produced by a nonprofit, listener-supported Wyoming Public Media. We're just a little old station housed in a basement on the beautiful University of Wyoming campus. We aren't getting paid big bucks as a for-profit business. No siree, we're making this podcast not for money, but because everyone on our team believes in what we do, telling the missing stories of the real American West. But that means we rely on people like you. If you make sure to download every episode as soon as it comes out, or have been telling all your friends what a big Modern West fan you are, or would be seriously bummed if we disappeared from your feed, If all that describes you, I wonder if you'd take a quick minute to do something for me. Get into your browser and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. A quick warning, this episode does contain adult language as well as some references to sexual violence, and it may not be the best thing for every listener. Growing up queer is rough, but it's especially difficult when you're from the country. That's what my friend Taylor Stagner went through. She grew up in a small town in the middle of Wyoming, where most people work in the oil fields or on ranches or at the local tribal casino. She says it wasn't easy being one of maybe a handful of queer people in a town of a couple thousand. But then she went to college in Laramie, a few hours away, and that's where she found her people. But Laramie isn't the big city. It's just a small college town. I got to know Taylor when she worked as a barista at the used bookstore and coffee house that my husband and I own. Right before our eyes, I watched her blossom. She always dressed kind of eccentric. Striped, pippy long stocking tights and pigtails to match. Bright red lipstick. Tattoos. Our customers loved her. But at first, she was so quiet, and I saw a hurt behind her eyes. I didn't understand why then, but soon... Taylor started coming out of her shell. In this episode, Taylor's going to tell you all about her process of self-discovery and about a good friend who helped her through it. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, this is The Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. queer people exist. We just have to do more legwork than our city counterparts, especially if we want to do drag. I've just driven four hours across the sagebrush and the high plains to Laramie. My friend Giselle and I are getting ready to go to a show in Denver called Weirdo, a drag competition where the audience decides the winner. Everyone will be in David Bowie outfits because the show is on the anniversary of his death a type of show that's hard to come by anywhere else other than a city. Giselle works on her makeup, and we chat. Um, I'm going for a form of the one of the uh, versions of the makeup that Bowie did for 
Um, Hizuki Stardust character. Um, I can't find my like good gold makeup though, which is a problem. Just trying to make this shiny. How long did it take you to get good at makeup? I don't know. I'll tell you when I'm good at makeup. <laughs> I love this palette though. I just need so much like highlighter for it to even pick up on the. Okay, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling where I need to be. <laughs> yeah, I like what you're doing with your highlight and the blush and stuff. It reminds me of that kabuki mask thing that Bowie used to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked at like a bunch of different versions from um, his Ziggy Stardust. And he did. Yeah, he did the kabuki one where it was like kind of like a death metal, like um, triangle, like out this way of blush. And then he'd have like white. David Bowie, if somehow you don't know, was a recording artist with elaborate personas. He was a big queer weirdo. A person to look up to when there are not many out gay people in rural Wyoming. And Laramie has a violent history with the LGBTQ community. Shepard, the gay college student savagely beaten last week in Wyoming, died this morning. He had been tied to a fence, pistol whipped, and left to die. Two suspects will be charged with the murder. President Clinton today It happened in 1998, a horrible act of violence that left Matthew Shepard, a gay college student, on a fence post to die. It was all over the country, and now, when anybody thinks about being queer and Wyoming, that's pretty much all anyone knows. Important stuff, but sometimes that's as far as the conversations go. And that's complicated considering Laramie's way more inclusive than a lot of other towns around the state. Dominique Alcala Compost is somebody who understands all this. She grew up here in Laramie, and for the last few years, she's been outperforming at events with her drag persona, Slayton Kills. Dominique says she thinks that having the queer conversation in the American West always comes back to Matthew Shepard at some point. Dominique is hanging out with us while Giselle gets ready. The one time it's affecting was like kids bullying me, calling me the next Matthew Shepard, and it's like, cool, let's talk about the normalization of that homophobia rather than going back 20 years saying like, is, was this a homophobic thing? Was it not? How does this homophobic act like affect like the queer movement today? And it's like, um, it's not affecting me. It's not the normalized behavior of, um, I mean, it is and it isn't. That specific thing, the specifics around that is like, a stain on Laramie's history, but it's not um, universal to every queer person in Laramie. Mm -hmm. In Laramie. Anyway. Um, At some point, we should talk about how um, Laramie's kind of a mecca for like gay people in, in Wyoming because of the university. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like I grew up in a town of 2,000 and I grew up in Lovell, Wyoming, which is a very small Mormon community, um, and like no no big cities or towns around it really. And so I don't know. My first like exposure to like 
people being visibly queer was like going to camps at UW when I was in high school. And so I was like, oh my god, this is like, <laughs> this is a paradise for queer people, it like seemed like. And that's not necessarily true. It's not true at all, but... Um, it's also not untrue in relation to just yeah. Wyoming, Wyoming and Wyoming. I, just, yeah. I, I can't imagine living anywhere else in Wyoming. And being this visibly queer. Yeah. I feel the same way. Laramie has a lot of great queer people living in it. Local drag performers put themselves out there all the time. Like during the town's summer rodeo festival jubilee days. Or doing intermittent drag shows for the community. Something that would be totally unsafe in other parts of the state. I grew up in Riverton, a small town in the middle of Wyoming. I remember coming out to my dad only a few years ago. My dad is a third-generation cattle rancher and oil field man. I remember we were welding in his shop and telling him, Hey, Dad, I'm bisexual. He smiled and said, Well, at least I still love half of you. I laughed with him because I knew he was joking. I know my dad loves me, but that was the last time we talked about it. And when you grow up in a community that would rather you stay in than come out, it really felt good to come to Laramie for college. I joined two performance groups, a burlesque troupe, where I could explore my sexuality, and a drag troupe, and that's where I met Giselle Moncur. The town where she's from, Lovell, is even smaller than my own, a Mormon town of almost 2,400 people. Needless to say, starting the coming out conversation is hard. So I'm, I'm already out as a queer person to my mother, but not fully out to the rest of my family, although it is very obvious. It's just kind of like something people don't talk about. But I came out to um, people in my high school, in high school, like while I was in high school, before I came out to anyone in my family. So I kind of was already out in my community before I was in my like familial unit. She said, if you own who you are, you take power away from snickering schoolmates and estranged family members and even so-called friends. She took a swig of beer while we talked. Which was, coming out in high school was strategic because I was already visibly queer even before I really understood my sexuality and gender. So if I'm out there as that, then like it takes the power away of people using it as a negative thing to me. Like they can still make fun of me and like say queerphobic things to me, but there's less that they're getting out of it because I'm already openly that person. Okay, Mr. Paganini, let it go. Giselle and I became friends over our love of heavy metal music and horror movies, things that now inspire her drag persona, Dead Girl. Giselle says Dead Girl is based on old-school Hollywood women, Jean Harlow and Lupe Velez. These women were underappreciated and met untimely ends. Lupe Velez 
was especially captivating and very funny. Not so different from Giselle. Are you all being so very kind to me, really? You know, someday I'm going to play Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yes, I will. I know everybody been trying to tell me that I will be a morning glory. Oh, no, but I won't. I won't be a morning glory. I won't. I won't be a morning <laughs> Giselle is a movie buff, so these women have inspired her through her realizing she was trans. And as a trans woman, drag helped her see herself as feminine when she didn't think it was possible for her. I never, I never thought of being trans as like an option for me. When I started doing drag, I started to question my gender more and like what felt right. Transitioning into like doing makeup and presenting as a woman much easier. But also hard because it was it's it's hard for me to like do a subtle makeup look sometimes because my natural idea is just like, oh, you should put some glitter on it. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of uncomfortable people who don't want to think about what the gays are up to. I still hear jokes from family members about Brokeback Mountain, which takes place in Wyoming. Very uncool, and probably why it took so long for me to come out to them. Giselle starts pulling on her David Bowie look. A red jumpsuit with flared-out cuffs. I'm not dressing up for the show today. I'm just the fan club. Hashtag Giselle Weirdo Winner 2020. We start collecting our things, antsy to hit the road. Giselle explains what drag means to her. So, um... Big misconception of what drag is, is that drag is the changing of one's gender. When in reality, drag um, is performing a queer identity. It's not even necessarily performing a gender. It can be that. But mostly it's performing queer visibility. And so me, as a trans woman who does feminine drag, I'm not trying to change my gender or display my gender. I'm just trying to present a big queer personality. I know a couple other performers in town who are definitely big queer personalities. Kylie Erickson and Lee Simmons are also drag performers in our troupe. They both grew up in the same Wyoming town, Pinedale, a teeny tiny ranching slash energy town at the foot of a gorgeous mountain range. Lee is an art student at the University of Wyoming and uses carnivorous plants as a way to assert their femininity in both drag and their schoolwork. I would say that um, for me, uh, carnivora flora um, comes from my art background. Um, I am an art student here at UW and I've been here for a very long time. And as I was making it through um, my educational journey, um, I was having a lot of issues with gender and my and accepting my queerness and the femininity that I did not have access to when I was younger. Um, so throughout my art, I used carnivorous plants to represent that. 
because uh, carnivorous plants like Venus flytraps and that are they're modified flowers. They have they're pretty much flowers that have been weaponized. And I kind of viewed that as a symbol of my queer identity, taking the femininity that I wasn't allowed to have when I was younger and using that as a symbol of power for myself. And that's where carnivore flora comes from. really rewarding experience um of course it also comes with like this aspect of fear a little bit um growing up where i grew up it's just all talked about in hushed tones and whispers lee believes that rural shows have the room to be more experimental nobody knows what to expect some crazy stuff go on and I think that that's kind of the best part of this group is that it's we don't it's not really anything you know it's not it's not just a bunch of people dressing up in glamorous outfits and dancing around to pop star music you know there's an art aspect there's a storytelling aspect there's there's really room for it to be performative storytelling. When we come back, Taylor, Giselle, and Dominique hit the road for Denver so they can make it on time to the drag competition. If you are liking what you're hearing, and actually, hey, even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover the modern West so that we can keep bringing you stories about the evolving identity of the American West. Hey, thanks, y'all. Back at Giselle's apartment, she's all finished getting ready. Big faux fur coat like the Hollywood starlets of old. And practical shoes, because there's still snow outside, and if there's one thing living in Wyoming teaches you, it's to be prepared to push yourself out of the snow. We climb in my RAV4, I'm driving, Slayton's in the back seat. Giselle is feeling excited. She's always been down for adventure. We've had to travel together before to get to doom metal concerts and other drag shows. While it sucks the concerts and shows are not in our backyard, the inspiration we take from city shows we bring back and incorporate into our own performances and artwork and podcasts here in Wyoming. But still, there are frustrations. It's a two and a half hour drive to Denver from Laramie. We drive across the plains and over the mountains. Giselle talks about her experiences at the University of Wyoming and how a lot of misinformation gets spread around about gay people. A year or two ago, I was competing in a stand-up competition, and one of the comics before me gave an antidote about walking into what he described as a gay bar, which in reality was just the venue that held the drag shows we did. Um, was just a regular restaurant and dance venue, not not 
ever specified as a gay venue or a gay bar, as he discussed it as. And he says that he came into this bar un- unknowing that it was a gay bar and that he saw a bunch of big drag queens walking around and that one of them came up to him and started hitting on him what was being like very sexually aggressive to him. She says it was just another example of people encountering a gay person for the first time. And it also shows that there's no place in rural towns where queers can openly flirt and get to know each other. And that fear is real. We drive into Denver and we see the skyline and I still get chills. It's embarrassing to admit, but when I moved to Laramie, one of my first thoughts was, ah, the city, you finally made it, kid. It's laughable now, but I never really saw big buildings for a lot of my life, so if Laramie blew my mind, Denver seemed like a whole other planet. I never find parking here. I always find parking down here. You always find good parking. So before we hit up the venue, we check out a lesbian bar where everyone but me grabs a drink. I'm the DD, but still, it's nice to see familiar faces. On the wall, there's a picture of a familiar painting, Icarus by Henry Matisse, a minimalist painting with bold colors I would recognize anywhere. It was on the cover of one of my favorite books. The body keeps the score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. It's a book that has gotten me through many traumatic experiences. The last time I participated in a drag show, I was performing as Bob Ross, the guy with the bushy hair who taught painting on PBS stations in the 80s. It was with the Dragonettes in the spring of 2019. I was coming off a really rough winter. A few weeks before, I had been sexually assaulted. And I almost didn't perform. It seemed dumb to prance around stage in a wig and paint when something so dark had happened. But I did. And I proved to myself that he didn't take away my ability to be seen. I wasn't going back to always hiding who I was. I tell Giselle that at the bar. It made me really try to be out there and made it made real life a little bit more bearable, knowing that I could do some of the weird shit I was doing on stage. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it didn't take away from like your ability to be yourself. That night, as Bob Ross, I remember there was paint and money flying everywhere. People were screaming, and it felt like a turning point. Just having fellow queer people around helped me feel less alone. I had felt alone for so many years growing up in Riverton. 
And I'm sure any queer person with pain can relate to holding it in at the convenience of a state or a town or a family that does not want to recognize who you are. I followed my friends out of the lesbian bar with the Matisse painting in my head, knowing I had done a lot of healing in the last year. It made me all the more excited to get to Weirdo to see Giselle perform. The venue? Packed. Parking? Limited. Morale? Extremely high as our group settled into the tall chairs close to the stage. Giselle had reserved a table for us. The MC came striding out onto the stage. They had striking eye makeup and a dashing three-piece suit on, with a booming voice that made everyone start to get rowdy. Hello, hello, Gladys. How are we doing tonight? Woo! Are y'all motherfuckers ready for a competition? Woo! Fucking me too. I'm so excited. Tonight, we're paying extra special tribute to Kay with Bowie, who actually passed away two years ago on this day. I'm excited, just did mic check, um, sounds like it's gonna be good, um, I don't know, I went backstage, it was really nice seeing everyone in costumes and we're all just like, hey, we love Bowie, this is gonna be so fun. Yeah. I'm still nervous, but um, a couple more sips of my tonic and we'll be just fine. Good, good, you're gonna break all the legs. First in the competition was Nixie Theodora Pixie, who did a gorgeous Lazarus rendition with big, beautiful golden wings. This was a recreation from off of Bowie's last album, the one he made before he died of cancer. Even while dying, Bowie was a force to be reckoned with. Pixie gets a perfect score. Seriously, I almost cried. Look up here, I'm in Another notable performance was a drag king who made a convincing Jareth from Labyrinth. Dustin Schlong, who did Dance Magic Dance with a baby doll in tow and an enormous Bowie bulge. We all go wild. Then it's Giselle's turn. Giselle takes the stage as dead girl for the first time. I can tell she's feeling confident in her red disco leotard. As she sings, we throw tips and cheer. Rock and Roll Suicide is a really powerful song that closed Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust album. It was hard for me not to get emotional when she sang You're Not Alone. It's nice to be reminded I'm not alone. 
Small town gays meet, talk, and form whole ass communities with bonds stronger than family. And nobody knows that better than the queers in Laramie, Wyoming. The MC comes out and congratulates Giselle for her performance. Yes, give it up for movie people! <laughs> All right, Gladys, are we ready to give Dead Girl their scores? On the count of three, I want to see those scorecards. One, two, three. I've got a nine. I've got an eight. I've got an eight. I've got an eight, a nine, and an eight. A score of 50 puts Giselle up against Nixie and Schlong in the final lip sync battle. The song, Rock and Roll With Me off of Diamond Dogs, a classic. In her big faux fur coat, Giselle passes out red roses to the audience and fellow performers. People scream and sing along. She's half naked and really channeling old Hollywood femme fatale mixed with that Bowie swagger. Nixie had won, but while Weirdo is a competition, it's easy to see Giselle is happy for her extended drag family here in Denver. She's happy for all the competitors, because even though Denver feels like another planet to me, this is still the West too. I'm sure many of the audience here came from small towns all over. While we get ready to head out, we feel happy, but excited to get back to our small town. When it was all said and done, we left for Laramie around 1.30 in the morning. Dominique dozed in the back seat while Giselle and I started talking about what David Bowie meant to us as kids. My relationship with David Bowie was through Labyrinth. The man had such gravitas to him. He could be wearing or doing anything and look like the coolest person in existence. Being awkward growing up, Bowie's confidence was inspiring to me. Giselle says she is proud of how unapologetically queer she became as she got older. And she should be. It's been amazing to watch her grow throughout the years. I think that like high school me would be really proud of how uninhibited I have been presenting myself as just a social freak. <laughs> and really just not, not caring too much about how I'm perceived by the straight world. At around three in the morning, we see Laramie. The lights and buildings are smaller than Denver's, but I'm still so excited to see them with more context of how big the world really is outside my own hometown. Going to a show in Denver is awesome. 
But what the queer community built here in Laramie is just as awe-inspiring. Laramie now has a whole week of pride in June, with community events, burlesque shows, and drag performers battle-ready with that Wyoming grit. Taylor has now flown even farther away than Denver. She's a graduate student in Ohio at Bowling Green studying American culture. She did a lot of difficult healing to get there. But the thing about Taylor is that I know that those roots in small-town Wyoming run deep, and they'll sustain her. Wherever she goes next, she'll always be a dragonette. We'd love to hear your own story of growing up queer in the rural American West. Share it on social media at Modern West Pod. Well, that's a wrap for this mini-season of The Modern West. But just around the corner, I'm going to take you home with me to my hometown of Walden, Colorado. For those of us who grew up there, it's a hard place to leave. I get nauseous when the mountains disappear <laughs> in my rearview mirror. Yeah, it's, it's home. Yeah. yeah, it's home. Yeah. But still, my town has shrunk nearly in half since I was a kid, a phenomena I've started calling ghost towning. Coming up this fall, a full season exploring rural decline and rural resilience. I'm Melody Edwards. Taylor Stagner produced this episode. The show's story editor is Aaron Jones. Our digital producer is Anna Rader. And our executive producer is Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media. One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.